Hi, and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 164, where in a moment we chat investment and pension charges. That's in just a second, as I say, but please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here and you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows because in our programs to date we featured loads of stuff mortgages investing wills and powers of attorney and heaps more you name it we've done it pretty much and last time we chatted marginal gains find the uk personal finance show with phil anderson on apple or whatever you get your podcasts and you'll get us there as i say an enormous resource all available for free find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need while you're there if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And then that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis, and here's the start of our show, Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you today? Good, thank you. Okay, so we're going to rewind a little bit and say that bit again. If you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out. And someone who's done just that is Rob in the West Midlands, who says, I listen to your show each and every Monday on my drive home from work. Boy, he's keen. I'd like to hear an episode on the different charges involved with investments, pensions, etc. For example, advisor charges, ongoing charges, discretionary fund charges. All seems a bit confusing. Thanks. Well, thank you, Rob, for getting in touch. Let's get our teeth into this one then, Phil. A show on investment and pension charges. Shall we start with investment? Can you explain the, the various charges associated with investment products? I'm told... This includes things like management fees, platform fees, and transaction costs. I say I'm told because I can't bluff. I mean, I don't know a blasted thing about this stuff at all. Oh, definitely. There's so many different types of fees, so many different names for different fees. So we'll probably cover a lot of different things today. But what you tend to find, investment products, they'll tend to come with various different charges. So like you say, you can have management fees. They're typically charged by the, the fund manager for overseeing the investment portfolio. You can have platform fees. So what a platform is, is it's basically just a a hosting site almost. So the, the platform provider, they've got this platform there where you've got access to usually thousands of different funds. So the, the platform provider, they'll charge a, a fee for using their investment platform. And that platform's somewhere where you can buy and sell assets. Sometimes you've got transaction costs. Um, usually they're can I incurred if you're you're buying and selling investments, and sometimes you've got sort of broker fees and stuff involved in there as well. Another fee that we'll cover as well is that you you can also have financial advisor fees. These can come in different forms. So some financial advisors will charge a fee for the initial advice. Some financial advisors will charge a fee for the the ongoing advice, and and many will charge both. So they'll they'll charge you something for setting something up initially, and then you've got the option whether you can pay for the ongoing financial advice there thereafter as well. So there, there's a plethora of different kind of fees and charges, but we'll we'll probably cover quite a lot going through the the show today. Was it? So everyone gets a slice, a sliver. Now, we, we've spoken about investment strategies before, and I, I remember you can go for kind of one of two ways, depending on your experience and, and how much you want to get involved. So you might not know a thing and you, you want to rely on the experts to cover that end off for you. I, I'd be in that category. Or you might well have exactly the plan, but want someone else to sort of execute it. So you instruct them and they, they still offer advice. But the point is, you're much more involved, I think. Phil will tell me if I'm right in a minute, but, but how do these charges differ between active and, and passive investment strategies? And what should investors 
consider when choosing between them, Phil? Yeah, so you, you've got active investment strategies. They often have higher management fees because there you've got an actual active manager looking after things. Whereas with, with passive strategies like index funds, they tend to have lower fees because all they're doing is tracking an index or, or indices. Investors should consider their, their risk tolerance, investment goals. And, and I, I don't know, like some will prefer active management, some prefer passive. Same with different financial advisors. They'll recommend different things. Some will do a bl- blended approach where they'll, they'll kind of do a combination of the, the two as well. But if you've got belief in an active manager, sometimes people will, will choose that and they don't mind paying a bit extra for that because the theory is that they hope that they'll look to outperform the the markets. We did do a previous podcast on active versus passive investing. So some of the listeners might find that one want to go back if they're more interested in in that area. I can't remember exactly what podcast number it was, but it wasn't all that long ago. So it wouldn't take long to to find that one if you were looking to, to find that. Okay, and uh, and when it comes to, to pension funds, what are the typical fees that we have to be aware of and how can those impact the overall performance of a pension? Yeah, pe- pension fund charges, I mean, they, they can include what's called annual management charges. So again, usually the provider will have some sort of fee for, for having the, the money with them. Some have what's called like contribution fees. So there might be a fee at the start for, for going into something. They, they're becoming less and less common these days. And again, some some have what's called exit fees. And again, they're a lot less common kind of these days as well. There's very few companies have, have got the exit fees. But what, one thing I would say is high charges can significantly erode the long-term growth of a pension. So it's crucial to be aware of the costs. And I, I would also say, look, to just kind of seek out low cost options. And one of the, the good things that came in a number of years ago, there was called the, the RDR, Retail Distribution Review. Now, years ago, financial advisors used to get paid by a commission. So these commissions were built into the, the product fees. So some of your old pensions have got quite high charges where a lot of the the kind of pensions these days, the charges are an awful lot less than what they used to be before. And it's all a lot more transparent than what it used to be. So although you've got many different fees and and different names for them, one thing I would say is that things are an awful lot more transparent than what they used to be. Okay, let's just go back over a couple of those. Annual management charges, I I get the idea of. Contribution fees and exit fees. You said that that the exit fees are are less these days, but Exits, presumably, what you charge, you want to move from one pension provider to another. Contribution fees, you said maybe at the start, is that a charge against you as well? If you want to place like a, a lump sum in your pension or, or alter what you're paying into it in any way. So there's something more going on other than what you'd be charged for the annual management fee. Yeah, so some some funds have what's called an initial charge. And like I say, that that's probably becoming a lot less common these days. It's not something that you you come across quite so much. You'll often have an initial advisor charge to to pay, but the actual funds themselves, a lot of them now don't have any initial charges, but you do still have some that that do have that. And what that is, it's where the fund manager may charge something for investing in that fund. They're buying different shares, for example. They've got costs for for doing that, um, things like stamp duty and stuff to pay. So that's why they're maybe that sort of fees for going into funds, but that, that sort of fees are an awful lot less common these days. Exit fees, they've actually been in the news a wee bit recently. 
St. James's Place, so they're, they're one of the biggest financial advice firms in the UK. They recently came away and said that they're doing away with their exit fees for all new business, but it's not coming in until the second half of 2025. So that, that's actually been in the news, but they're about the only ones that actually charge exit fees on any new monies going into things these days. Again, that tends, after this RDR, the Retail Distribution Review, exit fees have kind of almost became a, a thing of the past. Well, one thing I would note, though, is you've got some old policies um, they might have some sort of exit charges. Again, in the old commission days, what, what companies used to do is they used to pay a commission to the advisor for, for setting it up. If somebody moved that away within a certain time frame, there may be sort of penalties to pay. But again, it, it, it can be possible, but you don't come across that all that much these days. The, the only ones, like I say, that most of the time, if there's exit penalties to come out of something, it's quite often the, the St. James's Place investments that, that can often have them. Okay, now th there are differences in charges, I assume, as well, between workplace pensions or self-invested personal pensions and state pensions in the UK. Yeah, work, workplace pensions, they can often have lower charges because they're kind of benefiting from economies of scale. So if you're in a, a large workplace, they can often go to, to some of the big companies and negotiate really low charges. I mean, I, I've come across some of the big oil companies in Aberdeen. Some of the charges on the, the pension plans with them are absolutely fantastic. And generally, when you come across them, you're saying to folk, right, let's review the funds that you're invested in. But the actual charge on, on that type of workplace scheme can sometimes be be excellent. SIPs or self-invested personal pensions, they tend to have higher charges because they've got more flexibility in investment choices. And you, you mentioned the state pension there. Although the state pension, it doesn't have any explicit charges, but contributions are funded through your national insurance payments. So mm -hmm. there is a kind of cost for, for having it, but not a that there's not kind of like I say, any explicit charges with the, the state pension. What are the things that, that would sort of influence the level of charges in different investment and, and pension products? And is there any way that we can reduce them, Phil? Yeah, so fa factors that influence charges include things like the investment strategy, the fund size, the platform used. I mean, platforms tend to charge a fee. Again, it depends, and, and you can sometimes get discounts on this, but you're looking roughly maybe about a quarter of a percent is, is roughly what the, the platforms would, would tend to charge. Some platforms will, will charge a bit less, some will charge a bit more, but that, that roughly is what the, the platforms tend to charge. But you, you can, you can minimise your costs by comparing the fees and choosing low-cost investments and understanding the impact of the charges on the long-term returns is really important as well. And I, I often used to look at for example, people's pensions and say, right, what's the charging structure on it? How much are you paying? You would look at that. And if you could save them money on charges, you could kind of guarantee that. What you couldn't guarantee was how something would perform. But one good thing with the charges is it's quite easy to, to kind of compare and look at that. And financial advisors have got tools where they can run through, they put all the figures into that, it works it out. And then it, it can say, look, your current investment, if it grows at X amount per year or whatever percentage a year compared to this new investment that we're recommending and the difference to you if they both did exactly the same would be X or Y or, or whatever it is. So again, financial advisors can can help you compare the, the costs and charges on the various things as well. What about hidden charges in this world, Phil? Is there, is there anything that we have to look at for along those lines? There usually is. 
Yeah, but, but when you say hidden charges, one good thing is that, like I say, everything's a lot more transparent than, than what it used to be years ago. I, I would say probably what I would almost class as hidden costs. I mean, some, some companies have got what's called a, a bid offer spread. And basically what that is, is the price of the units when you're buying is different from the price of the units when you're selling. So there can sometimes be a difference of 5% there. So again, that's where they're making some, some money there. Some companies charge what's called performance fees. So that's another type of fee that can sometimes come up. Some funds, the, the fund actually can be losing money and they can still get performance fees. And the way that that works is that the performance fees are usually, each fund is normally, it's got like a benchmark against other funds of a similar nature. And, and it could be that that fund might be outperforming similar types of fund, but theoretically it could still be make, like losing your money, for example, mm. but and then they're still getting a performance fee on that. So that, that's something that comes up from, from time to time. You, you sometimes get sort of custodial charges. Investors, they, they kind of need to be careful. And, and what I always say is review the various fund documents because there, there are all the disclosures are there to try and identify these sort of almost kind of hidden charges. But like I say, everything should be a lot more transparent. And if you are using a financial advisor, they would be able to go through all the costs and charges in, in a lot more detail. They can give you like personalised illustrations that show all of that sort of thing as well. But not only can they, they go through the illustrations or, or give you the illustrations, they can actually go through it and, and kind of explain all the impact of the charges and exactly what everything is as well. That's what that is bizarre though. I mean, performance fees where we're losing, but we're not losing as badly as those guys. So you still owe us money. I know. I mean, <laughs> I wish I had a performance fee clause yeah, you, like that. Oh, uh, definitely. You didn't get performance fees an awful lot, but there are still some funds that that have them. This next bit is something we we touched on last week in our marginal gains podcast. But this is it, sort of doing the same thing, resulting in a negative effect. Can you explain how compounding? can affect the impact of charges on long-term investments and pensions. Yeah, over time, even kind of seemingly small charges can significantly reduce the compounding effect. And that leads to substantial loss and potential returns. For example, a 2% all-in annual charge it can erode substantial portion of your, your long-term gains. And if you're using a financial advisor, they can give you illustrations which show the effect of the charges on your investment. And I, I've had ones in the past where we've said to somebody, right, look, let's look at this alternative investment. It's saving you X amount on the charges. And there's been occasions where it's saved people thousands of pounds, like especially on pension products, because they're like you, you're investing in a pension depending on your age, for a, a longer period of time. So the effect of that charges can be quite massive at, at times. Usually, we're quite good in this country at making these charges less confusing to understand and easier to spot. Is this an area where, let's say until recently, that they were kind of getting away with it to an extent? Hey, there's been sort of regulatory changes. There was a thing called MIFID 2, and then I mentioned about things like RDR, the, the Retail Distribution Review. So all of that kind of means that there's a greater transparency in, in the fee disclosure. That That is one good thing. What I would urge consumers to do is to, to look for what's called key investor information documents, or KIDs, they're sometimes called... Um, in, in them, they're really good because they make you aware of like where the money's invested, 
but they also have all the different things like the costs associated with the, the various funds and financial products. And it also has the risk rate and other funds in there as well. So that that kids documents are key investor information documents is what they're actually called. They're quite good to get your hands on and, and have a look through. You'll get quite a lot of information in there. Yeah, so this is the one time that when they say never work with animals or kids, this is the one time that we actually advise <laughs> you do work with kids. What are the, the best practices for reviewing and comparing the charges of different investment and pension products to make, I suppose, the best decisions that we can, Phil? I mean, I, I think I know what you're going to say. And if it speaks to a financial advisor, no wonder, because my brain's sort of half fried with this already. You need someone to do the heavy lifting for you here, don't you? Yeah, that's it. I mean, you, you can kind of read through all the, the fund documentation, comparing different fees of similar products, considering the total cost of being invested in something. But like you say, if, if you are seeking advice from financial professionals, they're kind of doing a lot of that donkey work for you. And, and not only that, I mean, like financial advisors, for example, are dealing with these things day in, day out. So they've got a good idea the different charging structures that all the, the various companies have got. Um, so that that is one benefit of speaking to an advisor. But they, they should be able to explain all the different things and, and also the amounts that you're paying for each thing as well. So going back to sort of Rob's initial sort of thing, he, he'd said about you, you've got like ongoing charges, discretionary fund charges. There's so many different things, but they would be able to break all of that down. And the same as well, when we do like annual reviews with our clients, we, we send, that that's something that we cover there. And then we actually send out like a, a letter to them detailing, right, this is a summary of all our discussions. And again, we'll list all the different charges in there separately as well. And most financial advisors should be be doing that for their clients. Um, when when we're talking about financial advisors in in this instance, is is this sort of stuff that we're talking about? Is this your bog standard meat and drink for a financial advisor? I mean, or or is that a specialist thing? How how do you choose the right one for this? Yeah, I mean, like financial advisors are, will cover things like the charges, the performance. Like I mentioned earlier, you've got like initial advice that you can pay for, but most financial advisors would say to people, look. We believe you should be taking ongoing financial advice and, and reviewing your investments maybe every six months or every year, depending on what's in their sort of terms of business. And you can find one one thing I would say is like it's always good to speak to what's called an independent financial advisor because they've got a lot more access to more product providers and different products. So speaking of an independent financial advisor, whereas if you've got some tied advisors, they're a bit restricted and they can only advise on maybe certain products or certain areas. But financial advisors, they can provide sort of guidance on minimizing your costs. They can help you choose suitable investments. And, and what I would say is consumers should ensure that advisors are qualified to act in their best interest. You've got what's called the, the FCA register, so you can find out if someone is a financial advisor on, on that register. So it's quite good. Financial advisors can help you with things like, like, like look at diversifying your investments. They, they can help you maybe minimise trading, which can keep costs down. They can help you utilise tax-efficient accounts. And, and they also seek out kind of low-cost investment products as well. So there's an awful lot that they can do in there. As far as tax is concerned, for any, any potential tax implications related to investment charges or pension contributions that we need to know about in the UK? 
Yeah, investment charges may be tax deductible and pension contributions can have tax benefits as well. Consumers should be aware of tax implications and consult tax professionals for guidance if, if need be. And again, your financial advisor can can help with all of that sort of things as well. Have you got any real life examples where, where someone sort of navigated these waters and, and still achieved their goals? Yeah, we, we spoke a lot about fees and costs today, but what we haven't really touched on much is, is the actual benefits. And several studies in the past, they've highlighted the, the advantages of people taking financial advice and paying for ongoing financial advice. And there's quite a number of these studies out there that, that kind of highlight figures saying, look, if you take ongoing financial advice, on average, you would be X amount better off over a period of 10, 15, 20 years, however long it may be. But to, to give you an idea, when, when I was advising clients, I used to recommend Royal London quite a lot for, for pensions. Now, over time, the majority of the clients that I put into that pensions, they, they've done pretty well. I mean, on a, a £50,000 pension pot, their annual management charge was just 0.4% a year. And this would actually reduce if you had more money in your pot. So, for example, if you had 100000 in your pension, their, their actual charge in that situation would only be 0.35%. Royal London also have what's called profit share. And over the years, clients of Phil Anderson Financial Services have actually shared over half a million pounds has been added to their pension pots because of this profit share. They, they're what's called a mutual organisation, so they don't have shareholders to pay. So the profits that they're making is going back towards kind of better service. And, and one of the things that they do is they, they give this, it's almost like a rebate on some of the charges. And last year, the, the profit share rate was 0.15%. So again, going back to someone that had maybe £100,000 in their pension pot, effectively, that means that they're only paying 0.2% for their, like the product fees on, on that pension. And then they would have any ongoing advice fees on, on top of that as well. But that's one thing. Over the years, a lot of the costs of the, the products came down massively over the, the last number of years. We always talk about tech helping in these situations, Phil. It strikes me there must be an app that you can download that spots charges for this type of thing, or maybe a comparison website or something that does it for you as well. Yeah, a lot of the providers have got their own apps and, and tools and online tools and platforms can be sort of really good for giving you sort of like real-time fee tracking information, cost analysis. They, they can sort of look at optimising your portfolio. They can really help investors make kind of informed decisions and, and reduce unnecessary charges as well. And we, we've got quite a number of clients with Aviva. Um, they've got quite a good platform. And I know when, when our clients log into that pl platform, it's quite simple and easy to na navigate. There's a lot of different documents you can access and various things on there that show you all the, the charges coming off as well. So yeah, technology's great for, for kind of advancing things moving forward. Anything else to sort of help us stay informed about the, the latest developments in investment and pension charges and, and regulations? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, you've got different resources out there. I mean, there, there's some, one of the websites I often direct people to is, is Money Helper. It's quite good. I mean, you've got different financial news outlets, investment platforms, financial blogs, lots of different places where you, you can get information. But utilising all of these sources, it can help you stay up to date on kind of changing regulations and industry trends. But what I would say is your financial advisor can do all of that for you. So again, it's, it's just about making your life a lot easier rather than 
doing it. I mean, like I suppose with anything, you can try and do it yourself, but it would be an investment of your time to, to go and look into all of that. Whereas that, that's what you pay a financial advisor for, is they can do all of that sort of thing for you to to make your life easier. Even the mere suggestion of me trying it myself, I think is bringing on a nosebleed here, Phil. Okay, uh, well, Rob, listen, once again, thanks for getting in touch with this one. I hope that we've helped a little. Now, as we always do, Phil, on your podcast, we take a look at how our subject matter has affected your own life, both professionally and personally. So what do you want to focus on from today's show on investment and pension charges? Yeah, charges is such an important area. And it, if any of our listeners have got any old plans, it's definitely worth sitting down and having a financial advisor look over them. If you took out policies, whether it's investments or pensions, maybe 10 plus years ago, the chances are that, that they'll be on sort of old charging structures, which generally tend to be, not, not every case, but in a lot of cases, they'll often tend to be a lot higher than what you can get today. Again, financial advisors can look into all the ins and outs because it's not just about charges. You want to look at performance. You want to look at any guarantees that products have got. But a lot of these old charging structures, they're an awful lot less transparent than than the ones that are around today. And you do also find that many of the old plans where there was commission payments being made, they were also factored into the charges. So they can often be a bit higher as well. A lot of financial advisors will do a first meeting at their own expense. So again, it's worth looking to see if you've got any old pension plans, any old investments that were set up years ago. So it's always just worth having a review of them if they haven't been looked at for a while. Also in the podcast, a regular bit that we delve into is Phil's quote of the week. Being a fan is Phil is of influential and uh, motivational sayings and quotes, which have this week on our topic of investment and pension charges, Phil. We've not had a Warren Buffett quote for, for quite a few weeks, oh, so I've got one today. He must be about our most quoted, quoted <laughs> person, I think. But price is what you pay, value is what you get. Now, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your query. So if ever you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask it anonymously if that's what you prefer. Let's get on to this week's contact details after this. I'll give it to you in a moment. The first one is from Karen in Perth. Karen says, hi, Phil. I have a private pension plan. And every year I'm sent a statement telling me how my pension's doing, providing examples of what my retirement options might look like and explaining what I'm due in pension tax relief. The tax relief bit especially excites me, but can you tell me why having a pension means I get tax relief and what that might amount to over time? Yeah, when you contribute to a pension, you get tax relief on the, the contribution. So, for example, if you were paying in £80 a month to a pension, you would get a further £20 a month added to that in, in tax relief. So it takes your total payment going in up to £100. So that, that's one of the major benefits of pensions is the fact that you get tax relief on the contributions. And even if you're a non-taxpayer, you still get that as well. Everybody's allowed to invest up to £3,600 in a pension. But for many people, they're, they're be able to pay in an awful lot more than that. If you're a higher rate taxpayer or an additional rate taxpayer, you can actually claim back even more tax relief. Usually that's done through your self-assessment tax return. So if you are a higher rate taxpayer or additional rate taxpayer, it's important to make sure that you are getting all the, the relief that you should be getting on, on your, any contributions that you're making. But yeah, pensions are great because you do get the, the tax relief on the, the contributions going in there. Next up, here's one from Ian who asks, Hi Phil, if I can retire now and afford to not touch my pension for a bit, is that always my best option? Or should I take a little pension income and invest some of my savings or take my savings and stick it all in the pension pot? 
I'd say, I mean, it might be, it all really depends on your, your personal circumstances. One good thing we're not touching your pension could be that it might help with inheritance tax planning. So that, that would be one reason somebody might look to do that. Not to, touching your pension as well. It can help with things like estate planning due to the, the death benefits. A benefit of not doing anything may also be that you get more investment growth. However, you've got to remember that depending where the money's invested, it can go down as well as up, depending on on what funds that you're in. But yeah, there, there could be reasons not to touch it. But again, it all really depends. I, I would say with, with something like that, it would be good to seek kind of individual advice rather than just kind of generalising things. Okay, would you say as well, before you get in touch with the question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered an awful lot of topics now and we might have touched on what you're interested in. I'm Joe Mellis. Thank you for joining us for episode 164 of the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or join the Facebook group for the show. Search Personal Finance Community. That's Personal Finance Community on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Or why not email Phil a question that he can answer on a future show. His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send me a question and Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured we won't use real name if that's what you prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us and please follow us on Apple or whatever you get your podcasts. Then you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening.